from grown women to guys that yeah to kids like oh for an asian person you're so whatever if it's yes tall, exactly if it's, my hair is too dark i'm too tan it's everything hey and welcome to i'm adopted now what a podcast where we talk about all things race culture and identity one chat at a time This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. On this episode, I chat with Christy. Christy is someone that I met through Facebook. I met her through the SAT group, the Subtle Asian Adoptee Traits group. And she had put out a post talking about podcasts, and I commented saying that I would love to talk to her and her experience and kind of gave her a little background about my project. And before I knew it, we had set up a phone call. By the end of that phone call, I felt like I had met, you know, sort of a kindred spirit. She has a similar journey to me and has felt a lot of the same things that I have felt about her adoption. And it was really cool to talk with her and sort of just have everything that I've been feeling validated that I'm not the only one and that while everyone's adoption experience is valid and unique, hers and mine had a lot more similarity. It was really, really fun to kind of just bond and connect over all of the things that you'll hear in this interview that we felt like we're the same all our lives. She's also the person who introduced me to Canva and Canva being the media creation platform that I have used to get all of my graphics, my social media posts out there to all of you, the audience. She even let me use her login credentials to help get me started. And I am just so grateful to her at, to have her support. And I'm really happy that we were, you know, we got to connect. And I look forward to maintaining my friendship with her, you know, for years to come. I feel like it's rare, you know, in general, it's hard in general, but I feel like it's particularly rare in adulthood to make new friends and connect with new people, obviously, especially in COVID when all of those normal sort of going out into the world opportunities are taken away from you. So as I said, I'm just really happy to have made a new friend and look forward to having her as my friend for a long time. Okay, here's our chat. Hey, Christy. Can you hear me? Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me. It's really nice to finally get to, you know, hear your voice at least. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. I guess we'll sort of jump right into it. Well, first of all, I guess, what interested you about my project and, you know, like what made you want to participate? Yeah, so I saw your project on the Facebook group, the SAT 
So for a long time, I had thought about doing my own podcast. I have been very interested and very, during this like COVID-19 quarantine time, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of time to self-reflect on who I am as a person, who I want to be, and kind of struggled with, didn't realize how much I struggled with adoption being a part of my life. Mm -hmm. So I really just wanted to, you know, hear your perspective too. And, you know, with everything, just, just connect with more people and kind of share my story as well as hear others. Where were you adopted from? I was adopted from Changcha. I don't even know if I still say that right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Back in 1998, when I was about a, I was a year old. Okay. And where do you live now? Where did you, where, where did you grow up and where do you live now? I grew up in a suburb of Chicago and then migrated to school to go to college down in Indianapolis Mm -hmm. and then made my way back up to Chicago. So right now I'm actually living in Logan Square. Did you feel like you said it was a diverse area that you grew up in? Where I grew up was not necessarily where I live now is very much. Oh, okay. Um, So we lived, we lived in pretty much suburbia. So it was a very, very whitewashed school system. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I am unfamiliar with Chicago, but I've heard really, really great things about it. Yeah, it's very big and it's very diverse, which is mm-hmm. very interesting, mm-hmm. especially being an adopted Asian who identifies as white. Right. Yes, exactly. How has it been for you in Chicago right now in the pandemic and at the start of the Black Lives Matter movement. It was really hard for me when when everything started to not only understand their perspective and you mm-hmm. know I I really had an enlightening moment where I was like, "Oh crap, you know, some of the thoughts and some of the patterns that I've been living in my entire life have have been racist and have mm-hmm. been been very much influenced by where I grew up." It was a very mm-hmm. I mean, Indiana as you know, is very red conservative state. So mm-hmm. not only growing up there, and, and granted, it was close to Chicago, but we didn't have a lot of diversity. We were very white. And mm-hmm. when this all started, I felt very guilty for the feelings yeah. and for everything that you know I had kind of projected onto people. Like even today, I have to consciously fight the battle of okay, am I feeling a certain way towards a certain type of person because this is their stereotype and their perception? Or would I feel this way if anyone was around me? Like walking down the street, Mm -hmm. would I feel this way if a white man was walking towards me as I feel as a black man walking towards me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those feelings for me have been super like heightened and enlightened. And it definitely opened my eyes in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's very well put. I feel like I definitely experienced like guilt about, oh, like, you know, as you said, holy cow, like having to face, you know, this complete sort of white upbringing of privilege that is so not only not afforded to other races, but, you know, because the racism runs so deep. I was just kind of like thinking about how you all hearing that you identify as white also because I feel like I've had a fair number of people that I've talked to who basically say that they identify as Asian and it's and that is has just not been my experience. I would actively avoid things that I felt would be seen as stereotypically Asian from an American perspective like 
I would never order like hot water or tea in a restaurant because I didn't want, I wanted people so desperately to understand that I did not feel like I, like how I Mm -hmm. looked. So it's really interesting for me to hear that that has been your experience. Yeah. No, and I really resonated with that. How did that manifest for you? Do you, do you think looking back? For a lot of it, it was like a lot of entertainment. Mm. So even now, like the Parasite movie, it uh-huh. came out, had this huge hype. I'm not really one for scary movies, but usually if it's got that much hype, I will actually watch it. Right. But I found myself like not totally diverged, like diverting from it because I didn't want to. It just doesn't, it never feels comfortable for me. Do you have any siblings? I have two half siblings. So my family's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents are actually 22 years apart. Okay. My dad is 78 years old and he has two kids, one who is 50 and my sister is 46, I believe. So it's kind of a very interesting dynamic because, you know, we have my mom and I who are like in one unit, it kind of feels like them in one unit. And uh-huh. um, I never really lived with them and never was close with them, but they're still my half siblings. <laughs> right. Got it. Got it. Okay. But you grew up an only child? Yes. And have you experienced any like racism sort of in the opposite direction for being or looking Chinese because of Corona? I haven't, honestly. And mm. and I haven't had anyone like look at me or say anything. It's been kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. You hear all these stories and you hear about even on our local news, we hear about it, but I have not felt that at all. Yeah, that is very interesting. Hmm. Okay, let me ask you another question. Have you ever done like the DNA testing kit things? I have not. And I have been wanting to do one since I was in high school. And I yeah. have not. Yeah. Okay. The, where I'm going with this is, okay, this is a long shot, but hear me out. Do you feel like you want to do like a DNA kit aside from like maybe finding relatives and all of that, which we can talk about for sure. But do you feel that way? Because in some way, you sense that you're like mixed and you want to figure out what it is. Yes, that's absolutely okay. Yeah, because that (laughs) that is exactly why I did it. Like that's the exact same reason I was like, you know, my whole life, everyone has always said, oh, like you have to be like some sort of of mixed race. And it always this sounds like so shallow and like (laughs) me like I don't know if I'll end up putting this in the podcast, but I feel like that always makes people like, you know, compelled to comment like I'm attractive, quote unquote, like for a Chinese person. And hearing that made me wonder, like, what is it that people are seeing? Yeah, I've had so many similar experiences like that. I like from people to from grown women to guys to kids, like, Oh, for an Asian person, you're so like whatever. If, if it's yes, tall, exactly. If it's, my hair's too dark. If it's I'm too tan or I'm too like it's everything. And I like that's yeah. the main reason why I've wanted to do it for so long. I honestly have yeah. not had 
like in the past, I didn't have any interest in finding my parents, finding like whoever, who, any kind of relatives. I was just, I felt like mm-hmm. who I grew up with were my family. And, mm-hmm. but that was the main reason why I wanted to, because so many people had said so many different things. Yeah, that is so interesting to hear. I mean, honestly, I'm kind of relieved because I was like, holy shit, this is really weird. And like, is it like all in my head and I'm just like a really vain and shallow person? Right. (laughs) Tell me if you feel like this is true. I feel like it acts as a barrier or like as a buffer. Yeah, I definitely think that that is true. I don't know if that's like... Maybe like every single person on the whole planet on the whole planet thinks that. Like I'm not sure. Right. Wow. What did your DNA results come up? That is so crazy. So I did 23andMe. I got 98% southeastern China. I'm gonna look it up right now so I don't get it wrong. Okay. Yeah. So I got 98% East Asian and Native American, which is like, I mean, I feel like everyone's would say that because like immediately under it's like Chinese and Southeast mm-hmm. Asian. And I don't think like Native American means like it in like the North American continent sense. And then I got 1% broadly Asian, like unspecified and 1% broadly Malaysian. Okay. Oh, wait, no, it was Melanesian. Oh, my God, I'm even pronouncing it wrong. It was Melanesian. And so I had to look that up. And it's like the area right above like Australia. It's that that the area is referred to like Melanesia. I'm like Googling it. Like Papua New Guinea and that whole area. Wow. That's interesting. So 1% that. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that (laughs) means. That's cool. But yeah, so like obviously super... Like the majority is Asian, but then I don't know what that one percent means. Yeah. So huh. that was really cool. Wait, so where is the region of China that you grew up in? Like south, north, I like west. Honestly, which where? Honestly, I don't even know. That's okay. how bad of an Asian I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna Google it right now and tell you. Okay. I think that's how you spell it. It's in the central region. No. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to like see all of China. Oh, I guess it's in the mm-hmm. in the Hunan province. So I don't know if you know. I've always been yeah. told that I I look Filipino. Like I've never Oh, interesting. the test or anything, but I've always been told that. Hmm. So interesting. Okay. Are you planning on doing it or is it just something that you like think about but aren't really committed I just to? Haven't had the heart to spend $100 to get my DNA tested. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you do it, then you'll definitely have to let me know because yeah, I'm curious too. This episode will hopefully one day be sponsored by Headspace. Now, given everything that happened last week in Washington, I thought it was only appropriate to highlight here in this segment of the podcast something, a tool that I have used on and off that helps me, you know, calm my state of mind when I'm angry or frustrated or, you know, in shock or disbelief. I've been a member of Headspace since August 2017. And while I try to use it regularly, 
It's sort of a thing that has come and gone. It's an app. It's sort of a, a mindfulness and meditation app that was created by Andy Puttycomb and one of his friends. I can't remember, but there is a How I Built This episode with Guy Raz about how him and his friend created Headspace. Andy Puttycomb was a monk, a Buddhist monk for a long time. And he kind of talks about his journey from grade school to discovering sort of Buddhism and his inspiration for becoming a monk and how all of that training ultimately led him to creating Headspace. It's $99 a year for a membership, but you don't need to subscribe to use it. It's just that some of the features you need to pay for in order to have access to but either way, it's still, in my mind, totally worth it, no matter whether you pay for it or not, because they have all different kinds of courses on, you know, the basics of mindfulness to grieving, to how to be more productive. They have SOS, mindfulness tools where they're, you know, three to five minutes long. If you find yourself in a spot of anger or sadness and you really just need help in that moment, calm yourself down. I think the thing I have used most from Headspace is their sleep casts feature, which is essentially, you know, someone with a very soothing voice telling you a story that helps you drift off to sleep. One of my favorites is Snowville, where they walk you through a quiet winter town and they have this cool night market and it's snowing and it's it's just very, it really does the trick and helps me get to sleep. And I basically listen to a sleep cast from the app every night. It's just really good. And especially in times all this year, what are, I guess, all this past year when COVID and the world and politics were all so messed up. Um, it's really been a safe space and a place that I could go to when I felt like not only I needed help, but when I just needed a mental break. So yeah, it's called Headspace. It's all one word. And if it sounds like something you're interested in, go check it out. Okay, back to the episode. I feel like I forget that I look Asian yes. a lot. And I just was wondering how your experience yes, has been with I that. I absolutely feel that way. And I, like, I have felt that way since I can remember. But I remember, like, looking in the mm -hmm. mirror and being like, this is not how I feel. Like, I don't feel like this yeah. person with these eyes and this hair. Like, I feel like I should be... Five nine blonde, like blue eyed, like whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's been like that since I was a kid. My kid therapist used to do that like experiment where you have a bunch of dolls and they're like all different races and skin uh -huh. tones, and you see which doll the kid plays with. And I would always, week after week after week, just play with the like white, blonde hair, blue eyed doll. And one time my therapist was like, Liza, you know, there are all these other dolls that look different. And I am wondering why you never choose to play with those. 
And I was like super sassy <laughs> and thought it was a stupid question. And I was like, ah, because this is me. And I like shoved it in her face. <laughs> I was like, this is me. Duh. Like, why are you asking that? <laughs> and then I remember like a couple years later in school when we learned about like genetics and Punnett squares. And I figured out that like my Asian-ness, like my Asian genes were going to be passed down to my kids because they were dominant. I went home that day after school and I remember being so upset and telling my mom, like, I am never going to be able to have children because if they come from me, they're going to look Asian and I want my kids to look white. Oh, no. Yeah. And like, looking back on it now, it's kind of funny, but like, I can only imagine my mom who obviously having adopted an Asian baby thinks that Asian babies are so cute and is like probably pained to hear this. (laughs) But I was so adamant about it because I thought that looking anything other than white was like bad. Yeah. I mean, I resonate with that a lot. Yeah. And I didn't get to have the experiment because my parents didn't put me in therapy when I was five and didn't have the foresight to do that, which (laughs) brought up another question but I'll ask you when I'm done with my thought but it was just growing up you just it was very odd because I felt trapped all the time I was like I feel like I'm not Mm. portraying my best self so on the Mm -hmm. outside so how can I do that with my personality and that's where Mm -hmm. I found myself like really overcompensating and like just doing negative behaviors that probably would have helped if I Mm -hmm. was in therapy this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I did have a question when you said that. How do you think it has changed your experience? Or do you think that it has changed your experience as being an adopted Asian American? Mm -hmm. The therapy? Yeah, I think it definitely benefited me and was like only a positive like tool. I mean, it essentially taught me how to, if I did have questions, like process them and, and it helped me like sit with uncomfortability and the unknown. And I feel like I have always felt sort of like a poster child for adoption because I felt like my, I had like a quote unquote, like happily ever after type story. You know, I didn't experience any like identity crisis. I never felt like, oh, like longing to understand where I came from, or I didn't feel like I would never know who I was or understand myself if I like didn't find this other world and this other family. Like I never, I got lucky and I never had any of that. But a lot of people that I know who are adopted do. And I can't say that if it wasn't for therapy, that I wouldn't have some of that also. And I think the fact that I do feel so well adjusted and free and comfortable to talk about it in exactly the same way Mm -hmm. that you feel like that you seem to be able to talk about it. I don't think that for me, I would necessarily be able to if I hadn't gone to therapy at such a young age. Hmm. That's really interesting. Because like I said, I didn't have that growing up. And I never felt that Mm -hmm. way. Honestly, until this mm-hmm. year. And once all oh, of the Black Lives Matter stuff started coming up, I was like, you know, I just felt a certain identity crisis. And I remember talking to my mom yes. one day and I was like, I think I want to find my birth parents. And she was like, oh, 
really? And I had never expressed any sort of interest in that ever. You and I are like <laughs> the same person. That is so crazy. Yeah, I <laughs> because the same thing, the same thing happened to me this it's, year. Like I literally always felt exactly the same way you did. And then when the Black Lives Matter movement started happening, I verbatim felt like, oh, this is what an identity <laughs> crisis feels yeah. like all of a sudden. And like, holy shit, what the fuck do I do? I feel like I'm having a quarter life <laughs> crisis because I just all of a sudden was like questioning so much that I had never, ever, ever yeah. anticipated yeah. questioning before. And I feel before. like if the Black Lives Matter, if, if all of this didn't come out at this time, I don't know if I would feel this way right now. Like, I probably Exactly. Wouldn't. Yeah. It was like the catalyst that just like exploded mm-hmm. everything. And I feel like with the pandemic having been kind of like the opening, the he- like the head, like the opening act, you know, it was just mm-hmm. an added layer mm-hmm. of craziness and like time to think because we were all mm-hmm. in isolation. And then like, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think, you know, people who that I talk to who are my age definitely feel like the pressure of climate change and just kind of how we are so mm-hmm. doomed. And the fact that like there was a presidential election and it just seemed like the world mm-hmm. was ending and like what better time to like have a crisis, like a, an inner crisis than right than right now. And so I was like, okay, well, Hopefully, I'm not the only one having a crisis, and I guess I'll find out. Well, good news or not. (laughs) Yes, very good news. Okay, so I'm sure, I'm very sure that if this happens for me, this happens for you. Do you, you get the question like, oh, where are you from? And they really mean to ask you, like, why do you seem so white, but you don't look it? And this even happened. I started Mm -hmm. a new job back in February, right before everything got shut down. And my boss and I were Mm -hmm. out to lunch and he asked me, where are you from? Mm -hmm. And then he kind of pushed harder. So I had to give that information. And I'm Mm -hmm. happy to share my story. I'm happy to tell everyone that I'm adopted. I don't care. But it's just such a, it's like a gut feeling. And I think for me, it's that acceptance from the other person, why I want to give it up so quick. It's just a weird middle ground that I feel like we we walk and we just, we don't know how to not be pulled on any, in either direction. Yeah, no, that is so true. It's definitely like this between space that is just forever, like mm-hmm. lacking in definition, because there, like there literally isn't almost I feel like the vocabulary to give it definition like we have to we're like what we're like the options we're left with is just it's hard to explain because it's hard to explain words you don't like with like with only use it having Mm -hmm. those words to explain it I don't like the fact that there's not a word that isn't like birth mother or like DNA relative because even though I'm using birth or DNA as a qualifier, like it doesn't feel like that person is something mother. Relatives should be like reserved for people who I feel related to. And so I don't even like that. I don't know the word to call those, like those people like Like out there in the world. That you're just blood, blood relatives with. 
Exactly. Like blood connected with, but like, I wish there was something that like was not emotional or didn't imply, or like that wasn't something we already used for like our family relationships with our like actual families. And that's like so frustrating. Like I need to like make up a word, but like, I don't know how to do that (laughs) because yeah, it like doesn't exist. It's, It's that's like so crazy to me. And that like kind of is a good segue to like my last sort of larger question, which is, and you know, it ties into the, where are you from question and and all of that too. In what ways do you feel like adoption is normalized and in what way today? And in what ways do you feel like it isn't? And in the context of adoption, what would a normalization even mean to you? Like, and if you feel like it's not normalized, then in a perfect world, how would you normalize it? I feel like it's normalized from an outsider's perspective, but I don't feel like people have enough conversations about what adoptees go through. Like when, Mm. when a parent adopts a child, yeah, they have a bunch of books, they have support groups, they have every resource possible. And if they need it, they will seek it. But for the children, it's really up to the parents to, you know, facilitate where you're coming from. So I think that, mm-hmm. yes, while, while adoption is normalized and I don't feel like, I don't feel like I was overly bullied because I was adopted. I had one instance where it was mm. like, oh, go back to China. I'm like, all right, let me just dig a hole to China. So mm-hmm. it, it, it was just a very yeah. like dumb, <laughs> dumb bullying. So I don't, I, I feel like for the most part it is normalized. And I think that people are more accepting of different, different situations different and especially with the gay Mm -hmm. community as well because they have no choice but to adopt Mm -hmm. so it's just kind of I just don't think that people are putting enough attention on the hardships and things that adoptees go through I think that's well said okay awesome I don't know I feel the same way as we were talking I was like holy (laughs) how does this girl like did we come from the same same place Something about your post, I guess. I was like, I feel like this girl I get might you, get girl. <laughs> I should reach out to her. <laughs> okay, awesome. So great. And yeah. thank you so much again for being willing to talk and everything. Yeah, thank you so and much And I'm sure really like, you'll hear from me soon. Okay, Christy. All right. Bye. All right. That is a wrap on my conversation with Christy and this episode I really hope you enjoyed it. And again, as I said at the top of the episode, it was just really great to talk to her and connect on so many different subjects and levels. I was thinking about what question to ask for this week and was, for some random reason, reminded of a dream I had where I was stuck on a deserted island. And that made me think of the exercise where maybe some of you did it in grade school or at camp where you have a list of different equipment, you know, like a a knife, a tarp, etc. And you have to pick five things from that list that you would bring with you. And why would you bring them? So I'm going to shorten it to three. What are the three top things you would bring with you to a deserted island if it was you and a friend of your choosing. Obviously, because 
we, we don't, none of us want to be there alone. <laughs> so there will be an Instagram post as usual on the podcast page where you can leave your answers in the comments below. I hope everyone is having a safe and reflective start to their new year to help really get inspired and motivated for a productive 2021. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there.